Hello everyone, welcome to Word with Dave Clay. There are rare moments, possibly in everyone's life, including mine, where thoughts, emotions, concepts, um, anything and everything that would go with life, (laughs) your perception of it, uh, as in registry, uh, your experiences, um, your hope <laughs> for it lines up, and you get this great thing called an insight, or some might call it a revelation. Uh, and when it comes, it seems to <laughs> not only represent the coming together of all things. Where implicitly, inherently, there seemingly was then such the struggle, conflict, and in the moment it captures not only it being brought together in such a holistic, harmonic way, but now that you see it, now that it's been revealed to you, Now that you've come to that awareness and the insight is there, the perspective has been rightfully aligned, empiricism satisfied, highest order of critical thinking, hypothetical deductive reasoning, emotional processing, you've hit nirvana. Now that you have it, How can anything ever go back to being wrong? Those experiences are are seemingly at times few and far between, but probably more common than we'd claim, than we'd care to claim, if only because possibly it's not a singular sort of function. Maybe it is in the sense that it's singularly so the culmination, it's closure to the stages of grief. It's arriving at the solution to the problem, again, that's kind of went on forever in your life. But maybe it is. Maybe it's just that, that it is the the actual singularly so way that we grow, we adapt, we take the next step. (laughs) But life is full of many of these then, moment by moment, I expand that over a period of time, eventually from beginning to end. And I do think you've got a narrative. You've got a a story about your life. And the reconciliation of all the moving parts, as we now might call them, uh, this may be what it looks like. This may be some uh, very, uh, admittedly so crude, uh, not very sophisticated, Um, translation, explanation on my part. Dyslexia, beyond a disorder, what if dyslexia is not a disorder at all, but a unique cognitive style that helps humanity thrive? By Justin Garrison, or excuse me, Garson, PhD, in the Psychology Today, uh, 2022, December edition. 
Ever since dyslexia was first identified in the 1880s, the condition, which interferes with the ability to read and write fluently, has been classified as a disorder. Indeed, British physician W. Pringle Morgan, an early pioneer of dyslexia research, described what he called word blindness as a congenital defect. Yet more recent evidence suggests that the long-standing disorder label may be obscuring a full picture of the condition as a unique cognitive style that confers real benefits alongside its drawbacks. Far from being a disease to be cured, a new theory argues that dyslexia is an evolved cognitive specialization that played an essential role in the survival of all early humans and could help us thrive now if given the opportunity. Where the disease model falls short. Historically, dyslexia has been thought of, as, of in terms of its deficits, deficits, slow word recognition and inaccurate spelling that make it challenging for someone to read and write at the same level as peers. But in a paper published this year in Frontiers in Psychology, Helen Taylor and Martin David Vestergaard point to two intriguing facts that underline a disease model of dyslexia. First, they note, dyslexia is universal in human populations and seems to have a strong genetic component, suggesting that the genes underlying dyslexia are ancient. Second, it remains widespread with estimates of its prevalence ranging from 5 to 20%. Serious diseases of childhood tend to have a far lower incidence because natural selection usually contrives to remove them from the population. If a genetically based condition of childhood occurs at such a high frequency, that's probably because it helps its species somehow. Indeed, a large body of research finds that dyslexia is associated with a number of cognitive strengths among them. A big picture perspective. People with dyslexia tend to see the big picture easily rather than getting lost in details. They're quicker to notice when a work of art such as M.C. Eschner's Waterfall depicts an impossible image. Creativity. People with dyslexia excel at divergent thinking, the ability to come up with multiple solutions to any given problem. This might explain why roughly one-third of, of American entrepreneurs are thought to have dyslexia. An aptitude for art and engineering. People with dyslexia are significantly overrepresented in fields like art, architecture, and engineering. An evolutionary her heritage. Taken together, what do such strengths suggest about the nature of dyslexia? Taylor and Vestigard argue that they fit into a theory of human evolution, evolution called complementary cognition. The core idea is that the brains of human beings developed an array of cognitive skills that complement one another so as to, enhan to enhance group survival. Think about termites in a colony. They all behave quite differently. Some are fighters, some breeders, others workers. But their differences enable the colony to thrive. Human minds, Taylor and Vestergaard contend, work similarly. 
Throughout history, humans faced innumerable challenges that required creative solutions. To that end, calling on array and array of cognitive strategies could help. At the most basic level, there are two fundamental specializations, exploration and exploitation. We need to freely explore new environments in order to find resources like water. Once found, however, we need to be able to develop or exploit those resources efficiently. The same dynamics or dynamic is at work at a cognitive level, where some people seek out new ideas and others build on those already in existence. Exploration and exploitation aren't mutually exclusive. It's more accurate to think of them as two ends of a spectrum, both at an individual and a species level. Tipping the balance too far toward either exploration or exploitation puts the species at risk of not obtaining the resources or knowledge needed to survive, Taylor and Vestergaard maintain. Dyslexia, they argue, can be thought of as an expression of the exploratory end of the cognitive spectrum, along with related disorders like ADHD. Their theory is supported by research and clinical observations, suggesting that people with dyslexia outperform their neurotypical peers in both external speech, or excuse, external, excuse me, external search processes like holistic visual processing and internal ones like divergent thinking and insight-based reasoning. Even as they underperform on tasks of working memory, procedural learning, or convergent thinking, identifying a single correct answer. It's a cognitive trade-off resting on the assumption that as those with dyslexia explore the environment and brainstorm novel ideas, others in their group who are more skilled and exploitative thinking will analyze, build on, and perfect what they find. Time for a new approach. Some successful artists, engineers, and entrepreneurs feel they excel because of their dyslexia, not in spite of it. Yet others aren't so lucky. Western educational systems tend to prize reading and writing highly and often show little patience for cognitive exploration, a combination almost guaranteed to sap the confidence of dyslexic kids. The resulting disengagement can come with lasting consequences. Adults with dyslexia are more likely than others to self-harm or end up imprisoned. Dyslexia's challenges are undeniable and treatment can help individuals become more adept at reading and writing, still essential skills. But instead of focusing so much on what people with dyslexia can't do well, it may be time to ask what their brains are built to do, then guide them toward academic programs and careers geared toward their many strengths. If Taylor and Vestergaard are right, then thinking of dyslexia merely as a disorder isn't, just, isn't bad just for people with dyslexia. Denigrating a cognitive style that's key to our long-term survival is bad for society as a whole. As we face inevitable future challenges, 
thinking about dyslexia and indeed many of the conditions that we label disorders as being purposeful, not pathological, could be the key to unlocking our species' collective intelligence and finding the solutions necessary for us to thrive. Psychology Today, December 2022, under the general category or heading of treatment, dyslexia. Dyslexia, a dyslexia beyond a disorder. What if dyslexia is not a disorder at all, but a unique cognitive style that helps humanity thrive? By Justin Garson, PhD. And Justin Garson, PhD, is a professor of philosophy at Hunter College and the Graduate Center, City University of New York, and the author of Madness, a Philosophical Exploration. So getting back to my epiphany. <laughs> it all of a sudden, after having read this article, has come to me. How could I miss such an obvious awareness? Some people tear things down, or in some ways, when it comes to constructions, are more interested in seeing the individual unique pieces, parts, and then with that, extending that uniqueness, individuality or creativity as aspect of creativity, presenting it as a completely different thing than it was before. All the parts are the same, all the facts are the same, but it's been put together in a different way. Whereas people who are more inclined, and that would be an otherwise as the article captured it, exploration. Two fundamental specializations of all humankind, according to Taylor and Vestergaard, one being exploration and the other being exploitation. When it comes to exploitation, there are those that really don't want it torn apart. There are those that want to find maximum efficacy to do it in such a manner or way as to do it really, really, truly, truly well. And not to the exclusion of creativity, but as much as it would, it shouldn't disrupt status quo for too much or too, too extreme that it creates uh, a world of chaos, at least for those that are tended toward or trended toward or tend toward or, or trended toward the more exploitative side of it. Even the terminology they choose to use uh, is a little bit biased. I don't have any sort of uh, innate reaction to the exploration part, maybe not so much to the exploitative part, but I wouldn't like to think anybody gets exploited. But I suppose that's true. They're using it in, in a very basic sort of model where we're given all this resource and we need to figure out how it, it is to be locked or unlocked or used uh, where creativity and and efficiency as a process or as part of process uh, are both rewarded on the front end doing it better is has it's also implicitly also great benefit or reward as much as then once you figure out a way to do it why reinvent the wheel 
Now, where does my insight and epiphany come from, or come to, as much as it might have at least been triggered by this article? It explains to me why I'm in constant struggles with my significant other. She tends to be much more inclined, not that she's not creative, but she tends to be much more inclined to status quo. Don't disrupt it. Establish protocols and procedures, and the less you have to deviate, the better. You don't have to expend unnecessary energy on trying to fix a problem, because why create problems if you don't need to? Why not just do it the way that you do it? And with that then, leave her, and if I might have shared common dimension with her world, leave it alone. (laughs) Don't overturn it. Don't challenge it. Don't question it. And certainly don't blow it up. (laughs) There's no reason to. And at the same time, that may be exploitative, and maybe that's my initial resistance to the term. At that gut level, I don't want to feel like I'm being exploited uh, for the sake of stability and continuity and um, stabilization and all that that goes into <laughs> aspects of survival and as factors into aspects of survival and success. But at the same time, don't curse me because I am the one that tends to be much more exploratory, inquisitive, wanting it to be done differently. Now, it isn't that I can't demonstrate some of the very same as I'm speaking now specifically to my significant other, my wife. But I'm probably more likely to be that way when it comes to the exploration. Uh, don't ever tell me I can't ask a question. And if indeed uh, routines, not only are they stabilizing, but do they then afford you because you don't have to expend unnecessary energy or only now minimal energy to maintain them, let's at least allow what is the additional surplus energy to be directed to something of great sort of value, at least to me. Let's pontificate. Let's examine. Let's be intrigued. Let's see if we can kind of look at the world in different ways, different terms. Um, And if you don't mind, (laughs) I'd like to ask you the questions. Uh, She's a bit resistant to that as well. But the epiphany is it's probably one level, certainly not a very personal one I've just shared with you. It explains a lot of our conflicts over the years, and I was so enmeshed in it, (laughs) close to it, I couldn't see it for what it was. But it helps me to understand at another level, expand that a bit more, what goes on in our society. We have the same thing going on. And why would we expect it to be different? And it should be adaptive, as in then we should get something really good out of it or it should serve some ultimately 
optimal purpose, conflict is not bad then. It's another level of that insight, that great epiphany. Conflict's not bad. It just represents the processing. Conflict's not bad. It's consolidating all the data. Conflict's not bad. It's really both. It's exploration and exploit. Maybe another epiphany. Maybe all of us should get good at both sides of that, if possible. You can dichotomize that. You can make it binary. <laughs> you can get the one side doing it this way, the other side doing that. But as I confess, I can be a little of both. I could see, and maybe that's the point. Let's stop being so one way. <laughs> or let's stop seeing such in so much the terms of disease or disorder as we're looking at the other that we can't operate in what maybe is just a natural inclination to do both. It's all part of the same process. <laughs> it's, it's all the stuff of life. It's that centerpiece to adaptability. It's emotional and cognitive processing at its ultimate. It's, it is the hypothetical deductive model of reasoning that is foundational to science. It's the solid research model. It's the experiential component that really makes it then empirical. It's taking in all the facts. It's recognizing demands for change, growth. It's everything that's good. If I could live here forever, I'd be good. I, but I won't. <laughs> What will happen is I'll go home and before I know it, I'll be right back into the binary. My wife will continue to, in my mind, it's my mind, not ask her about this. So I'll own it entirely. But I'll go home and she'll just be into what I perceive to be the exploitative part of it. And everything that I do, of course, as she may or may not be prejudiced or biased or have fallen into the trap... She'll perceive me to be, why are you coming in and messing up my daily routine? Why are you disrupting what seems to be going pretty well to the point that you came in with all these questions and wanting to do it a different way and trying something new and exciting and experientially? And you get the picture. But if it is true, not only is it something that happens in relationship with your significant other, your spouse, maybe it's part of what's underlying our societal woes, as you might see them within conflict, conflicted sort of terms. But maybe it's also something that we implicitly just have to do within ourselves. We have to occupy both sides of that. And if it could then be a universal sort of singular archetype, maybe we could all get along on that basis. Okay, today's your day to be the exploitative side of it. Uh, my day to be the exploration. But maybe tomorrow I could be the exploitative side of it. You could be there. Or maybe even in any given day we might do this 15 times. Or even so as I'm having conversations with myself. That's what it's going to look like. It's not a disease. <laughs> maybe, maybe I am dyslexic. 
maybe I have a preponderance toward one side or the other, as the article seems to capture it. Maybe and those are pretty decent attributes. I mean, who wouldn't want to own those? A big picture perspective, <laughs> creativity, and aptitude for art and engineering. Even as I was reading uh, today, I was botching all the words because, yes, I could be dyslexic. And would that not be within the light of this particular revelation that the article has triggered in me? Would that not be awesome? I don't know if I am or not. But if I am, then I should also be realizing at this juncture, as I maybe am in my open disclosure to you, my confession of my most intimate sort of thoughts. Maybe I just need to have enough of an awareness of it. I could learn a little bit to balance that a bit more without having to rely on somebody else in some reactive way triggering me or me triggering them. But maybe that's what's going on again in our culture or society. Maybe this is just why it always has conflict. Maybe this is why there's always that component that tends to lean toward the more liberal notions at any one given time. And then those that tend to be leaning toward the more conservative notions at any one point in time. Maybe we've unfortunately got caught up in the trap of binary thinking or dichotomous thinking. Uh, Maybe we're so reactive to one another. Maybe there are genuinely some who are inclined to be much more conservative, others inclined to be much more liberal. Maybe it's a cultural, psychosocial sort of socialization dimension to it. But if this is the epiphany, if this is the, even so, for me, in a theophany, If I've seen God and I realize my humanity and I fall on my knees with humility and confess, oh, wretched man that I am, why can't we do that with one another? Why can't we understand that and recognize when we're being triggered? And that it doesn't do anybody any good. And it certainly isn't going to help society. And it may be evolutionarily so, as the article is inclined to capture it, disadvantageous. If it is true, as we've been discussing it, and that's the thing I'm going to probably take as most telling for me uh, when it comes to the article, The idea that there's evolutionarily a benefit to our understanding of how these two sort of processes really complement or designed to complement one another. And even if we should get into some sort of a place where we say, okay, well, there's specialization. And these individuals do it better than others. Then so be it. But understanding that we can't get so in the weeds. Or so inclined to want to be right. That we end up destroying something that really without it. We're going to end up being so far in one direction. 
so far toward the extreme or extremist that we then end up harming ourselves. And I don't think that would be good at all. And I am sure then, in that big picture of ways, <laughs> confessing again my possible dyslexia, it's not good for us. Evolution would then establish this is not good. This could be the end of us all if we don't stop now. And with that then take advantage of such insight. Take advantage of such awareness now that it has come to us in the way that it has, at least to me, today. Why would I not think then? Maybe I should apply this. And as I'm doing so, as they used to say right before your very eyes, this could change my life. It could change the rut that I've fallen into in my marriage. It could be applied to certainly even as I get into a rut within myself. Um, and then let's just go ahead and make it something, generalize it to something that all of us could benefit. Maybe it could help us all. Now, these type of insights certainly can be self-generated, as uh, has come to me, but it came mostly because something triggered it. Psychotherapy is a lot like that, psychological counseling, although it's, it's not necessarily bibliotherapy, which is doing what I've been doing with the Psychology Today journal article. Uh, but you go talk to someone, and they're going to offer perspective, and maybe that's all you need. It maybe it just been cooking for so long and just kind of percolating, as they used to say, uh, inside of you. And then they say that in that one way, or that one that way that then releases singularly this greatest of all insights, and all of a sudden the world lines up in the right way. And should it then be to the credit of Psychology Today? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Psychology Today. Should it be to the credit of Justin Garson, PhD? Yes. Thank you, Justin. Though you're not a psychologist, instead a professor of philosophy, you did write that wonderful book, Madness, A Philosophical Exploration. And more than that, you're probably a bit dyslexic in that you're doing all these great things, giving us a big sharing with us, a big picture perspective, uh, putting the facts together in a different way, and recognizing even so <laughs> that's an aptitude, even in tangible measure. I forgot to mention earlier an aptitude for art engineering. Those are not bad skills. That's, those are not bad professions. Art and engineering have contributed greatly, qualitatively and quantitatively, to humankind. 
So this idea that appreciating something, if we're not careful, we may have come to, and, and with that, erroneously, label as disordered, that is probably in and of itself representative of disorder, or at least lack of balance, if balance is what we're speaking of today, of these two perspectives, and maybe there's just, again, the way the human mind thinks, and our experience of cognition, conceptualization, and, and even narrative of trying to explain it. But sometimes somebody needs to come along and challenge that. That's what I'm trying to do on the podcast today. That's what I try to do for my patients. Individuals come see me. Individuals who come see me. They give me their story, and not that I'm disrespectful of their narrative. I understand it. I want to be consistent with it. I need to also appreciate how valuable it is for them. I don't want to pull the rug out from under them and tell them they're all wrong. I would never do that. I want to make a their decision. But I'm going to, with the best of interests and intentions in mind, do my best to do what Psychology Today has done for us. What hopefully the podcast might do for you. <laughs> Give you a different way of looking at it. Allow you to take what you've been percolating, cooking for some time. And not on a single thing, but maybe it's just processing in general. Maybe it's all this that goes into the human apparatus that we call adaptability or adaptation, a capability for adaptation that gives us the evolutionary advantage. If there's going to be natural selection, let it just be that, natural. Let's not contribute unnecessarily. Now, that tends to be a bit exploitative. (laughs) Don't mess it up too much. But I suppose you could argue, well, if you want to just go ahead and blow it all up and destroy everything, we could do that. The world will go on without us. Would it be to our great advantage or disadvantage? Maybe ask the world. (laughs) Maybe everything else will be glad we're gone. I don't know. (laughs) But for the sake of certainly the psychotherapy office or the podcast or even psychology today, for the time being, let's just try to balance that out without destroying ourselves. Let's try to get the answer without being in such conflict with everyone else that, that, and falling into that rut with everyone else such that or own that in an identity way, one side of that so much so that we can't get the answer from anybody else. Even bibliotherapy. Because generally that is what preempts us from getting answers. It's us. It's this bias it's the prejudice because we've gotten so caught up in lack then of awareness or insight and just not only how caught up we are, but what we are actually thinking and how possibly distorted or disconnected from other perspectives it could be. And with that then, how it's destroying us. It's pathogenic. We've become the sickness. We've become the disease. We've become the disorder in this way. And I just want to help you change. 
If you say you don't want to be sick, if you say you want to be better, if you say that you don't want the conflicts, which are not bad, said that a few moments ago. Implicitly, there's not, nothing wrong with this type of divergent thought or the way these two parts come together is going to implicitly have some conflict. But the sickness comes when it becomes so difficult to enact or to perform the act of reconciliation. And we don't in that recognize its bias and prejudice or we're trying to maybe find ways that we can continue to go back and forth and come to some sort of middle ground, <laughs> common dimension. Um, we're still okay with testing. We're still okay with asking questions and want to see it without so much prejudice or bias that we lack or fail in the most essential element of validation or validity, which is compromised objectivity. We're so subjective that we corrupt the findings. Um, I want to help you if I can help you make that change, even by just pointing it out to you, such as we've done in the podcast today. That's bound to help. <laughs> this is a great insight. It's in a great awareness. Grab it, hold on to it, and apply it. It will change your life. As hopefully then does the podcast word with Dave Clay. I don't know if it's that dramatic. But if it ever would be, I'd love it. I mean, why would I not want to do that? And at the same time, if it should be a little bit less significant to you, nonetheless, it's worth a thought. Give it a, at least a thought, maybe several thoughts, especially the next time you're in the middle of one of those kind of discussions with your significant other. Recognize, wait a minute, Dave Clay was saying, so, if it does help, I'd like to invite you back to our next edition of Word with Dave Clay. And, as I am fond to say, inclined, but also like to say, until then, I do want to wish you the best. Not only in terms of mental health, behavioral health, but consequently good health. So, until then...